Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're glad you made it out this morning. I was thinking about uh, basically last night. I don't know if you all were out last night. We had worship last night on the way in and out. I needed Rudolph, if you know what I'm saying. It was so foggy. Uh, on Stony Hollow Road, I, I lost the road. I, didn't need, I couldn't see anything. In fact, I was talking to my brother, Tom. I always call him on the way home from church on Saturday night. And I said, Tom, I'm hanging up because I can't see the road, and I think it's more important that I focus on that than on you. But we're glad you're here. I know the weather hasn't been very cooperative this weekend, or actually this whole week. Um, But we're here to worship the living God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today. And uh, I wonder uh, how it's going Eight more, no, seven more. It was eight more days last night. Seven more days till Christmas. Just seven more days till Christmas. So how did it go with focusing on the presence of Jesus this past week? You know, focusing on his presence more than the presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E more than the P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. If you were here last weekend, you know that that was our commitment. That we would focus our lives on the presence of Jesus and on sharing that presence with others. If you weren't here last week, or maybe you're here for the very first time, we're in the midst of this series called Christmas at the Movies. And what we've been doing is we've been taking some of the more uh, popular Christmas movies and shows, and we've been looking at the themes and scenes from them that demonstrate the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, So far, we did Rudolph, which uh, was the first week, and then we did last week, The Grinch. Today, we're going to look at Miracle on 34th Street. Now, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies, and sort of like Thanksgiving Christmas combined, I think. I don't know. I always watched it at Thanksgiving until this year, but but it is about Santa Claus, so I guess it's a Christmas movie. Anyway, uh, it was made originally in 1938 and then remade in 1994, and the theme of that movie is believing in someone or something that you can't necessarily prove to be true. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we do that every day. We can't prove, we can't prove there's a God. We can, nobody can prove there isn't a God, but we can't prove that there's a God. And we can't, certainly can't prove that that God came in the man Jesus Christ. Now, what we can prove is there was a man Jesus Christ. We can prove that he was born on the earth and that he lived and he died and he rose again. Well, we can't prove that he rose again, but there's so much evidence that you almost, it's hard to believe that he didn't rise again. But anyway, the point is, The movie, Miracle on 34th Street, is about what it means to believe in someone when you can't necessarily prove that it's true. And the main character in the movie is a woman named Dory Walker, and she happens to be the marketing director for Kohl's Department Store. I really think it's Macy's in disguise. But anyway, um, Kohl's Department Store, and uh, she has had a tough life. A really tough life. In fact, when her daughter Susan was born, her husband left her. And so she's been a single mother all of that time, and she's a hard woman. And she doesn't believe in anything or anyone that she can't prove to be true. And she's sort of passed that cynicism on to her daughter, who's just a little girl. And Susan, you know, really hasn't had a chance to believe in much of anything because her mom doesn't want her to hurt, be hurt because she believes in something that will disappoint her, have faith in something that she can't prove to be true. Now, here's the the point that I would make is, if you don't believe in something beyond yourself, if you don't believe in something more than what you can prove to be true, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to have a good life if all life is about is what you can see, touch, taste, hear, and smell. And we're going to talk about that today. The first thing we're going to do, we're going to look at a clip from the movie um, where Susan and Dory are having a conversation about Kris Kringle. 
who happens to be the, the, the Santa Claus at Kohl's. And, and actually, we're, we're not going to see all of this because we're only going to watch three clips from the movie. But this, this Chris Kringle thinks he's really Santa. And, uh, and Brian, uh, Brian Bedford, who is a friend of Susan and Dory, um, who's an attorney, he has a childlike faith, and, and actually, he eventually uh, seeks to prove that Chris Kringle is Santa. But right now, what we're going to do is look at this conversation between Susan and Dory, because Susan has seen Chris Kringle, as he's being the Santa Claus at the Coles department store, talk to this little girl who has, who's deaf. Santa knows sign language. Apparently, he knows a few other things. So let's watch this clip. driving me crazy and I can't sleep. Well, what's on your mind? Santa Claus. Mr. Kringle, why? What about him? He talked sign language with a kid today. Well, that was considerate of him. It's weird how he knows so much about toys and kids. Mm. He speaks Russian and Swahili. Well, he must be quite a learned man. He looks exactly like every picture of Santa Claus I ever saw. Yes, I know. That's why I chose him. You're positive he's not the real Santa Claus? I thought that we talked about this. You understand what he is. What if we're wrong? That would be extremely rude. <laughs> well, we're not wrong, sweetheart. But all my friends believe in Santa Claus. Well, most children your age do. How come I don't? Because you know the truth. And truth is one of the most important things in the world. To know the truth and to always be truthful with others, and more importantly, with yourself. And believing in myths and fantasies just makes you unhappy. Did you believe in Santa Claus when you were my age? Yes. Were you unhappy? Well, when all the things that I believed in turned out not to be true, yes, I was unhappy. Would it be okay if I thought about this more? Do I have to not believe in Santa Claus right away? You have the right to believe whatever you want to believe. Now, I've told you the truth, but if I am wrong, I will be glad to admit it. I'll tell you what. You ask Mr. Kringle for something that you would never ask me for. And if on Christmas morning you don't get it, you will know once and for all the honest truth about Santa Claus. That's a very clever idea. Thank you. I think you can get some sleep? Yep. Yeah? Give me a kiss.
We're going to watch a couple more clips from the movie that talk a little bit more about this theme of Kris Kringle and whether he's really Santa. But before we do that, we're going to turn to one of my favorite Bible passages. And the reason it's one of my favorite Bible passages is because it tells us what the early church believed about Jesus and about each other and about what the church was intended to be. In fact, when I first went into the ministry, it was the very first passage of Scripture I ever preached from. And I've preached from it probably a dozen times over the years because I always want to remind us who we're supposed to be as the church. It's Acts chapter 2, and it starts in verse 42 and goes to verse 47. If you have your Bible or Bible app, you'll probably want to turn there. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, what happened after Pentecost because Acts 2 is about Pentecost. First 1 up to 41 tells us about when the Holy Spirit came. Jesus had died and risen again, and he had gone back to heaven. And when he went back to heaven 10 days before this event... Um, he told the 120 believers who were on the planet, only 120 Christians in the whole world at that time, um, that they would pray and wait until the Holy Spirit came. And then they would have his power and they could be witnesses all over the world. And so that had happened. And at the end of the day, you may know that 3,000 people heard the message of Peter on that day of Pentecost and became believers. They also became followers of Jesus. And we're told in this passage what those early believers, those first 3,120 people did as a result of coming to trust Jesus, someone that those 3,000 had maybe never seen, um, but they believed him to be God and the son of God and, and really uh, the co-creator of the universe. So before we get to that scripture, let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for this season of year. It really is all about your son Jesus, his birth and his coming into the world to rescue us from sin and death. God, we pray that as we open your word today, as we reflect upon it, that you will open our hearts that by your Holy Spirit and that you will impress upon each of us the truth that we need today so that we will believe in you more deeply and so that we will be assured of our salvation in and through Jesus Christ. We ask this prayer in his name. Amen. So in Acts 2, 42, the very first verse we're going to read today, we read these words. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. Notice what it says there. All the believers, not some of the believers, not most of the believers, but all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In our day, that would mean that we would devote ourselves to Bible reading and study. In those days, they didn't have what we call the New Testament. In fact, the uh, the apostles, the 11 remaining apostles, and plus they added Mattathias, or Matthias, it's called two different names depending on your translation. Those 12 had been there, and they had actually seen Jesus as he walked on the earth. For three years, they had been where Jesus was for just about everything. In fact, one of the things that we have to say is it didn't take a lot of faith for the disciples, the apostles, to believe in Jesus and his miracles. They had watched him perform them. These people who, who were the apostles, they saw Jesus walk on water. They saw him heal sick people, blind people, deaf people, people that couldn't walk, and, and even raise people from the dead. They watched as demons shrieked as they were cast out of people by Jesus. They watched as Jesus would take a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish and turn it into a feast for thousands of people. They listened as Jesus preached and taught with an authority and a passion like no one ever before or since. And they took all of that truth and they shared it with the early believers, with those 3,000 people at first, and it became many more very quickly, but those 3,000 people who hadn't seen these things. 
And as the people listened, you can imagine, because we're like those people, we hadn't seen them either in person. And as we read the accounts, we have to read the accounts, but they listen to the accounts. We have to decide, is it true? Is it really true? But you know, the thing about the apostles is, even though they saw all of those things, they didn't truly believe until Jesus rose from the dead. Until the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. It took that indwelling spirit of God in their lives before they became witnesses who were willing to die rather than to give up their faith. They were, they were so sure that the good news of Jesus Christ was the good news that they all went to death except for the apostle John who died of old age. But all the rest of them were martyred rather than turn away from their faith in Jesus. So as they... Listen to the the apostles teaching these early believers. They grew in their faith, but they didn't just listen to teaching. It says they also devoted themselves to fellowship. That is, they shared their lives together. They became brothers and sisters with one another. They shared meals together. They opened their homes to each other. They prayed together. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I can't wait for January because we're going to have a series in January called Connect. And during the 31 days of January, we're going to have a 31-day prayer focus, and we're going to invest more time in prayer than we ever have in the history of new life. We're going to come together on Monday through Saturday here at the church at 6.30 in the morning, for those of you who are early risers, um, and we're going to sing uh, sing together, we're going to read the Bible together, then we're going to break into groups, and we're going to pray together. And then we're going to focus on the weekends, of course, on prayer. In fact, we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. But like I said, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm so excited about that because that daily gathering every single day, we've never done that before. And, And that's so like the early church because it said they went daily to the temple courts and to each other's homes. We're going to read that in just a moment. But in this environment where they listened to the apostles' teaching, devoted themselves to it, didn't just listen to it, devoted themselves to that, to fellowship, to sharing the Lord's Supper and to prayer, it says... This is what happened. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. You see, when we devote ourselves to the truth of God in Jesus Christ, when we devote ourselves to worship and to prayer and to fellowship and and, and being together as God's people, that provides an environment or a culture where miracles occur. And that's because God dwells in the presence of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people, according to the Psalms. And we are told by Jesus that wherever two or more of us are gathered in his name, he's there in the midst of us. So miracles happen when God's people act like God's people, when we become God's people. And so Jesus performed miracles. There were many miracles in the early church. And so today, since the title of the message is Miracles Still Happen, the question for us is, do they? Do miracles still happen today? And the short answer to that question is definitely, most definitely, miracles still happen. Let's just look at, uh, very quickly, let's look at 2016 here at New Life. Back in February, those of you who have joined us since February may not know this, but the people of New Life gave more than $47,000 so that we could purchase buildings for 11 churches in Cuba. And those 11 churches, if they're normal churches, average churches, during the time since February till now, 50 to 100 new believers, people who were atheistic socialists, have become believers in Jesus Christ and salvation has come to their lives in each of those churches. Do the math. That's 50 to 1,000 people have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord as a result of that gift of money that we sent to Cuba. Now, if that isn't a miracle... 
I don't know what it is. And, and the cool thing is that church will, each of those churches will double in size in next year. And so that'll be 1,000 to 2,000 people will come to know Jesus and be saved from eternal damnation. And I don't know why nobody's excited about that. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I think that's a miracle. And this year, uh, and today and, you know, last night, I haven't helped this, but our average attendance has increased by more than 20% this year. And that's incredible to think of when we are at a point where we're larger than we've ever been in our history as New Life. And nearly 100 people have, have trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord through the ministry of this church this year. And dozens of people have been baptized, two more last night. And unless you think I'm just talking about numbers, I'm talking about people, those 100 people that trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, they were on a path to hell, and now they're on a path to heaven. That's the biggest miracle there is. And some of you have told me of physical healings you have received through the ministry of this church in the past year. Some of you have come to me and told me what financial desperation you were in and how God has provided miracles in those situations. So the, the truth of the matter is, Every single day, pretty much, something amazing, miraculous has happened in and through new life because we also have this environment of devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, of fellowship, of sharing the Lord's Supper together and meals together and praying together. Just last week, a young mother who needed a car was given a car by some generous person in this church family. Those kind of things don't happen every day in, in most places, but they're happening here. So... It says this about the early church. It says, And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, some people have asked me over the years, Pastor Chris, how in the world did they do it? I mean, if they sold all their property and their houses, then how did they live? I mean, how did they eat? Where did they live? I mean, if they, how, did they, how did they have everything in common? Like, was it a commune or what? And some people think it was, but I don't. In fact, I don't think that everybody sold all of their property and all of their possessions. I think a few people did in obedience to Jesus Christ. And, and I know what happens when we do that because Jesus told us in Matthew 6, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything that we need, the property and possessions we need, will be added to us. God takes care of us when we put him first. But I believe that most of the believers in the early church sold some of their property and some of their possessions because they understood what we learned through the book, The Treasure Principle by Randy Elkhorn, back when we did the Yes series, just the, the previous series to this. Remember what he said? God doesn't give us more to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. When we have surplus, that surplus can be used to help others. And so the people in the first century church got that. Every spare amount of money they had, they shared it with others. And so that no one had need. It tells us that. They all had something. No one had a lot anymore because they were sharing with each other. And that's, that generosity is something that has happened here at New Life more and more and more. I mean, just this past series when we did the Yes Initiative, all of us together combined to make a commitment to give over a million dollars over these coming three years to build the Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center. And the amazing thing about that is many of us who gave don't have children or grandchildren that are ever going to use that Children's Nurture Center. We, we are giving because God has blessed us, and we know that it's our calling to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time, starting right here. We want to reach as many of the children in this community and region as we can with the good news of Jesus and also young people and adults. And so what happens is that as we give, we become more and more like that early church who gave so generously 
that everyone's needs were met. And the next thing it says is, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So just as we said when we first started New Life, a healthy church grows larger and smaller at the same time, meaning that we need to have large group gatherings like this where we worship together and study the Word of God together, pray together. But we also need those small groups where we gather in one another's homes and we share meals together. And notice that they shared the Lord's Supper in that environment as well. But they helped each other, encouraged each other. So we have large group meetings and small group meetings. And this past spring when Pastor Mark was moved from the, the, youth, the youth director to becoming the discipleship pastor, he has infused a new energy and enthusiasm into the small group ministry here at New Life that's going to yield tremendous results to make New Life that New Testament church that we've been seeking to be ever since we started 15 years ago. And Pastor Brad has done such an excellent job of equipping more and more leaders for worship in, in these large group gatherings. The, the, the acoustic Christmas that we had, the Believe Gathering on December the 9th was incredible. 15 people up here um, sharing their, their gifts and, and talents in music, uh, both with instruments and with their vocal instruments, and, and praising God. And as we do that every week, in fact, uh, I was just thinking this morning, uh, Chris Dixon was the guy singing here. I've known Chris since he was in second grade, you know, and I don't want to make Chris feel sort of uncomfortable or not, but wow. You know, God has given him a great instrument, his voice, and he uses it to God's glory. Those are the kind of things that happen in a church that's growing larger and smaller at the same time. And the, the, the thing that's very important is you might say, well, what's, what's miraculous about this, Chris? What's miraculous about a church where there's good worship and where there's small groups going and where people are reaching out with love and generosity to people? Well, I have a quote that comes from my good friend John Nuzzo, and it's a very important one because I've been part of churches all my life, eight different churches I've been a part of since I was a little baby, and in all of those churches, there's been something in common. And, and John Nuzzo sums it up well. He says, if church people don't have something important to fight for, they just fight. If church people don't have something important to fight for, they just fight. Well, there's not a lot of just fighting going on here at New Life. In fact, there's very little of it because we know what's important. We have decided that what's the most important thing in the world is that every person in our, in our scope of influence is going to have the opportunity to have salvation in Jesus Christ. They're going to hear about Jesus and they're going to share and experience his love. If they join us here at New Life, they're going to know what it means to be welcomed and to belong, as we talk about here all the time, belong, believe, and behave. That a person belongs here just by breathing. As I always say, if you can fog up a mirror, we want you to join us. If you can't fog up a mirror, then it'd probably be best if you stayed home, right? Um, you'll get that on the way home. Uh, okay, so anyway, but when we belong, that's not enough. In fact, what we have to do, if we're going to ultimately experience the blessing and joy of Jesus Christ in our lives, is we have to move from belonging to believing, believing the truth. In fact, believing is what transforms us. Believing in God through Jesus Christ is what transforms us. And what Susan found out is it's hard to believe sometimes. And we're going to watch a clip right now, and Chris Kringle and Susan are having a conversation because Susan doesn't believe that it's possible that she can get what she most desires deep in her heart. Pretty, isn't it? It really has to be something you want for Christmas. I'm very good at keeping secrets, you know. 
Come on, get away. this <laughs> that's what I want for Christmas a house a brother and a dad that's all I ever want If you're really Santa Claus, you can get it for me. If you can't, you're just a nice man with a white beard like my mother says. Oh, Susan. <laughs> just because every child doesn't get his or her wish doesn't mean there's not a Santa Claus. <laughs> I thought you might say that. Did you? Yes. Well, the house is a very big order. And very expensive. Hmm. And, a, and a baby one. Baby takes uh, almost a year to uh, to uh... nine months. More if the lady's late, less if the baby's a preemie. Right. <laughs> and a father. I mean, uh, no one can give anybody a father. <laughs> if Santa Claus really can make reindeer fly and go up and down people's chimneys and make millions of toys and go all around the world in one night. He could get somebody a house, and a brother, and a dad, right? Right, right, yes, I suppose he, he could. I don't think I'll ever get those things, it's no big deal. Oh. Well, um, perhaps I could keep this paper, could I? Sure. Well, night, little angel. Good night. That's it. Good night, Mr. Kringle. A family for Christmas? I don't think so. Susan thought it was impossible to get what she wanted. And I understand that because I've prayed for some pretty miraculous things myself over the years. Sometimes God has given them to me, to us. At other times, God has said no. And, and I didn't understand why would God say no. But over time, I've realized that the reason was because if he gave me what I asked for, it wouldn't have been good for me. And God is... God is the one who gives the greatest blessings, and he, he actually knows better than we do what we need. But, you know, there are some of those things I've asked for, miraculous things I've asked for, that he said no, and I still don't understand why to this day. I still don't understand, 27 years later, why my mother had a stroke and died within two hours instead of living for 10 or 20 more years so she could see her granddaughters grow up 
actually be born in some cases. I, I don't understand that. I've, I've come to accept it, but I still don't understand it. And, and you may be going through something similar in your own life. Maybe you need a healing miracle and you don't seem to be getting it. Maybe you need a broken relationship to be restored. Maybe you want a house and a baby brother and a dad and you're waiting. And what I've learned over the years is I keep praying for a miracle until I get a miracle or until God says no or not yet. And, and, and the, the reality is it's, it's a lot easier when he says yes. But even when he says no, he's still God. In fact, he's God and we are not. And the last verse that we look at today in Scripture tells us something very, very important. It says, all the while they were praising God, that is the early believers, and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And here it says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. So those early believers praised God. And you go, well, of course they did. They're getting miracles left and right. Yes, they were, but they were also being imprisoned. And they were being put to death. The thing that's amazing to understand is even dying can sometimes produce miracles. Let me give you an example. There was a man named Polycarp. I love that name. He's one of my favorite guys outside of the Bible. He was the Bishop of Smyrna. He was 84 years old when he was arrested for being a Christian. And, and the, the governor of that area didn't want to arrest him. In fact, he actually sent soldiers ahead of time and said, why don't you escape because we're going to send some other soldiers to arrest you. But he wouldn't leave. And then he was arrested, and on the day he was, being, he was going to be executed, he was going to be burned at the stake in the Colosseum in Smyrna. And as that was going to happen, you know, the, the guy said, the, the, the leader of the Roman government official, that he said to Polycarp, if you just deny Jesus, we'll let you go. And, G, and Polycarp said, 80 and four years have I served my Lord, and he's never done me any wrong. How can I desert him now? And so they lit the fire, and as the flames came up, Polycarp started singing praises to God. And he stood there singing praises to God until he died. He never screamed. He never moaned. Never anything. Just praises to God. And it's said that thousands of people in the Colosseum became Christians that day. Because they wanted to be able to believe in something so fervently that they could die like that. And wouldn't you want to believe in something so fervently that you could die like that? That no matter what people did to you, that you would know. Because Polycarp didn't die like that because he had a, a wish or a hope. But, but he had a strong and living faith that he was going to leave this life and he was going to experience eternity with God. And so certainly they praised God because whether they lived or they died, it was a win-win for them. Because if they lived, they could serve the Lord. And if they died, they went to be with him. And then it says... They had the goodwill of all the people. And again, that's a tough one to understand because the Romans very soon outlawed Christianity and the Jews very soon called Christianity heretical. And even in that condition, the people had the goodwill of others because they served one another and they served the people around them. They served their communities. They, they served those who persecuted them. Now, I don't know if you know this, but we have a thing called the Greatest Need Fund here. And at New Life, that doesn't just help people in New Life. It helps people in the community. People from the community come and they ask for help. And I understand that some churches won't help people unless they're members of the church or unless they're believers at least. But, but our, our idea is this. How can somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus believe that Jesus exists and does miracles if we won't even pay their gas bill or give them a meal to eat? And, and I remember one time when I, 
a woman came up to me. I didn't know who she was. I had never seen her before. And she told me that we had given her a blessing bag, her family, a blessing bag at Easter time. This was several years ago. And, and she said, God provided that food for me through you. For her, it was just as miraculous as if somebody had taken a loaf of bread and fish and multiplied it so her family could eat. You see, that's the way that miracles can happen in the goodwill of people it is, is encouraged in a community. And that's what we seek to continue to do as the early church did in our community today. And then finally, the last thing that it says is each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I love that statement because it tells us that we can't save anybody. It's not my job to save someone. It's not your job to save someone. It's just our job to be witnesses, to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world, starting here in Saxonburg and in where, wherever you live, and going out to the other parts of the world. And as we do that, they listen and they hear and they watch. And they see, is there really a difference in, in the life? They, the people that are far from God, when we show them the love of God, when we welcome them in, when we encourage them, when we tell them the truth, then they have to decide for themselves if they can believe in something beyond themselves. That's for them to decide. But it's, our, it's not our job to save them. Jesus came to do that. And Jesus has been saving people for 2,000 years. Ever since Jesus rose from the dead and went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, his church has been sharing the testimony of who he is and the apostles' teaching of what he did and why he did it and that there's a God who loves us. And as that message has gone out across the world, millions and, and billions of people have trusted it and their lives have been transformed. That's what Christmas is all about and miracles still happen. Sometimes what seems to be impossible actually does come true. We're going to watch one final clip. And that final clip from the movie is going to show us how Chris Kringle came through with Susan's impossible request. you ask Mr. Kringle for. Susan, that is not why we're going to the we're house. We're going to the catalog house, right? That's the house I told him I wanted. I showed him a picture of it, and he took it, and he said he would get it for me. Well, the house is a pretty big gift, Susan. That's what Mr. Kringle said. Honey, <laughs> we are going to the house because it snowed, and it's very pretty, and because Mr. Shellhammer wants to take photographs for next year's Christmas catalog which I think is awfully bold of him. It is a holiday. That's just an excuse. Mr. Kringle did all this. I'm very sorry, Mother. You have it perfectly wrong.
Thanks, everybody. You got a bonus. What do you mean? Our names are on the mailbox. I got a call last night from Mr. Kringle, who said you and your husband were looking for a house. He was quite insistent. <laughs> Did you get married? Uh, yeah, last night. I can't believe it. Congratulations. Was this planned? Uh, no. I can't believe it. Uh, Mr. Kringle wanted to be here, but uh, he's overseas. Mr. Kringle. Oh, uh, the house is for sale, fully furnished. I'm sure you can afford it now. Oh, we all get our bonuses, thanks to you and uh, Mr. Kringle. This is the house I asked Chris for, and he got it for me. And he got me a dad. And the third thing, I guess I'll just have to wait for it. But he'll get it for me, won't he? If Chris said he'd get you something, I bet it's already on the way. I guess there's no doubt about it. He's real. I'm going up to look at my new room. Excuse me. Susan? What? What else did you ask Mr. Kringle for? A baby brother. See ya! <laughs> I love a story with a happy ending because our story has a happy ending. You see, the story of every person who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord ends like this. We die to this life. We wake up in front of Jesus and he looks at us and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master's kingdom and then we get to be with him forever. And I want you to be clear about something it's actually going to be up on the screen because I want you to be really clear about this. I know the difference between a good movie ending and a good real life ending. Jesus is the source of a good real life ending. I don't know what kind of miracle you need today. I don't know if you even believe in miracles, but I know that Jesus is still in the miracle working business. Jesus coming to the earth in the first place was a miracle. His perfect life was another miracle. His death on the cross to pay the penalty for human sin, yet another miracle. His resurrection from the dead, an amazing miracle. His going back to heaven and sending the Holy Spirit so that we can live in his power throughout our lives, one more miracle. And his church is still another miracle. And so that's why the com commitment for today is this. I will trust in Jesus' miracle-making power through this Christmas season. Whatever it is that only God can do in your life and mine, he's ready. And the only question is, are we? Are we ready to do everything that we can do to make that miracle come true? 
And are we ready to pray as if everything depends on Jesus for it to come true? Because we need to do both of those things. Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. We have to do everything we can do, and then God will do what we can't. And that's where the miracle zone is in each of our lives. So let's take a moment right now. Let's thank God for the miracles he has provided. And we can praise him in advance for the miracles that we know he will. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for the creation of the universe, which is a miracle, for all of the blessings of life you give us, most of all for Jesus, the miraculous intervener in our lives, the one who came, uh, emptied himself of divinity to become human so that we can one day live eternally with you. God, we pray right now, I pray right now for every person who needs a physical miracle, a miracle of healing. I pray that you would touch each one, bring healing to their lives. God, those who are in financial desperation, I pray that you will bless them, give them wisdom, and give them victory in that area. God, where relationships need to be restored, I pray for miraculous intervention in that case as well. God, I pray that each one of us will trust you enough to know that you and you alone are the God of miracles and that we will lean into you. And God, if there's any in this room who has not yet said yes to Jesus as Savior, welcoming the salvation from sin and death that they need and has not yet said yes to Jesus as Lord, as master and owner of his or her life, I pray that right in this moment that they would do so. God, we pray that we might live throughout the remainder of this Christmas season and throughout the remainder of our lives knowing that miracles still happen because you are the God of miracles. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.